GM, GM, welcome back to another episode of Web3 Academy. It is the weekly roll-up. It's the number one spot to get all the Web3 news all in one spot. Coming at you from Jaybird, Kyle Reedhead, and today's special guest, Jeff Kaufman, back on the show. Great to see you again, Jeff. Great to be back. <laughs> Today, oh, you go first, Jay. No, no, go ahead. I was going to make right. a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we've got an awesome, awesome show. Uh, and we're starting off discussing what's going on with Porsche uh, and their NFT drop, which happened two days ago now or yesterday, and what they could have done better. Jeff's had a lot to say on that. That's why we brought Jeff on the show. It's not really a subscriber. If you're a minter of, Je of Jump News, I guess you're also a subscriber. I don't know what you call it. But if you're in Jeff, uh, Jump News, you would have seen um, Jeff's incredible breakdown of this whole situation. And uh, a lot of it started coming true. And I was like, Jeff, did, are you the one that did this? <laughs> so anyway, we're going to get we're gonna get Jeff's insights. We're going to talk about Nike. They just launched their new creative studio, Dot Swoosh, yesterday. We'll talk about what's going on there. Doodles, a bunch of stuff going on over there. And finally, Robinhood enters Web3. And so we'll have a discussion around that and just all the cool things that we're building in this space. Before we get into that, though, let's do some quick gratitude. Jeff, why don't we start with you? What are you grateful for today? I am super grateful for my fiance who, what she is grateful for, which is she just got a new gig and she works in the event industry and she's super pumped about it. So I'm just super happy for, for her. What's, What's your fiance's name? name? <laughs> Michelle. Michelle. There we go. Shout out Michelle. Congrats. Way to go. That's awesome. <laughs> Jay, how about you? What's your gratitude for today? Yeah, I'm grateful for the opportunities i get to have intimate dinners with friends i had six friends i think six people is the perfect number for a dinner party i think it's because it's with six you can have one conversation at the whole table you can break up into two person conversations or three person conversations around the table just a lovely dinner party last night at my place with with Sam and a bunch of our friends and yeah and oh and plus one dog so seven awesome and my gratitude today is my new plant I got a birds of paradise and I owe this to Jay I actually spent some time living with Jay and Sam years ago in Toronto and they came back with this beautiful plant a birds of paradise and I was like wow I love this plant and they were obsessed with this plant. And I was always like, you know what? One day I'm going to buy a home and I'm going to put a Birds of Paradise in it. And that <laughs> happened on Monday of this week. And that's beside my desk right here. And I just, I love looking at it every day. It's my new favorite thing. So that's my gratitude today. All right. Before we get into the show, a couple announcements. One, Web3 Academy is hiring a social media intern. There's so much stuff going on in this space. We need some help. We're running out of bandwidth. And so we're looking for a social media intern. If you are a king of memes or a queen of memes, check out our Twitter. I think it's our, our pin post right now. You can share some memes on there and you can also apply for that. So check that out. And if you're a pro member for our newsletter, today we sent out our newest pro report on music NFTs. Check that out. But at the bottom of that is a form which is going to allow you to gain access to your new pro pass NFT. And this is going to give you some exclusive access to different perks and things across web three so just check out the newest report and go down there and fill out the form and, and then check your wallet in a few days cool things going on we're moving people from online to on chain we love that that's what jump is doing as well and that's why jeff is here because he is an expert in this space so let's get into the porsche news jay why don't you start us off with a quick intro and then jeff we want to hear everything that's going on in your head yes yeah, so porsche launched their nft collection called porsche 911 it was seven and a half thousand supply. And in the beginning, it didn't go so well. They priced it at 0.911 ETH and they only sold about 
1300 in the first sort of rush. There was a lot of sort of negativity coming out from the community. Some people saying, oh, this is another example of a legacy brand doing it the wrong way. So then Porsche came out and announced that they were going to shut down the Mint, which led to a fervor of activity. And I think they got up to about 2,300 minted because people were worried that they were going to miss out on it. And then Porsche shut it down. There's, there's what happened, Jeff. Let me pass it over to you. What did Porsche do right? What did Porsche do wrong? What can we learn from this? Yeah, that, that was a great breakdown. So I was personally pretty excited about this launch. And then when sort of the negative press started to trickle out into the world, uh, right when the campaign or right when the NFT launched, I was a little bit disheartened because I was like, mm. ah, everything seemed to be going really well. About a month ago, I wrote a little overview on what Porsche was doing. They showed up at Art Basel. They've been working with creators and artists and doing cool installations and partnerships for quite some time. So to me, I was like, well, this looks great. Like, Porsche has partnering with artists and creators and showing up at events and doing cool stuff. Like just take that into web three. And then it also made a ton of sense from just a business standpoint, build in web three, build native to web three. Hey, let's become the car brand, the favorite luxury car brand within this massively new category. Oh, by the way, it seems to be pretty affluent as well. There seems to be some dollars running around. So yeah, it makes sense for a luxury car brand. So all the DNA and all the history and the sort of the business case really made sense. And then boom, the NFTs launch and it's obvious it's not going to mint out, right? When you just mm. see velocity of the number of mints and you see the total of supply, you see the price point, and really even 48 hours leading up to the actual mint when Porsche announced on Twitter what the price point was going to be, because that was not known for quite some time. When they announced that price point, the comments were just, you know, didn't look good. Like everybody was mm -hmm. saying, hey, that's a pretty high price point. You haven't really done anything in the space. You really haven't launched anything. Compared to Bored Apes, who launched at 0 0.08 ETH, mm -hmm. 0.9 ETH, right? This is a $1,500 NFT out of the gate without a lot of proven a Web3 strategy. And we know how hard mm -hmm. that is. So, you know, they didn't have the velocity and it was very apparent that, that it wasn't going to mint out. And if it doesn't mint out, it just looks bad. It's just sitting mm -hmm. there hanging. It's a, it's not good. So. Especially for a luxury brand, right? Where luxury brands, it's about, you know, exclusive and there's, there's not many left yeah. or there's not many there. It kind of has to sell out for a, a luxury brand, I think. Right. And that's such a great point. It doesn't really matter what the category is. We're talking about sellouts all the time. So also kind of another sort of thing just about Jump News here, and at least the way that content that we publish, I'm never going to be able to, or at least right now, keep up with the news cycle. I'm also not a professional journalist by trade. I'm a strategist, right? Worked in agencies for a long time. So you know, when we started, we didn't break this news that the Mint wasn't going well. So the rest of the press was talking about how bad the Mint was going. What we wrote about here was, well, what could they have done differently? And then now that they're in this situation, what should they do? So that's mm -hmm. the 
perspective that we try to take when we publish. And so in this case, well, what could they have done differently? We've got this sort of phased approach here where what if they had started much smaller and then built up? And had they, could they have played on this 9-11, sort of theme a mm-hmm. little bit more? And I have to give a shout out to the community members in Jump who you know, helped kind of brainstorm this and really helped these ideas that are here in this brief come to life. But what if phase one had only been 91 NFTs priced at the iconic Porsche 9.11 ETH? Right. Ooh, almost 10 ETH. Yeah. Right. The <laughs> most exclusive of the exclusive. Compare this to Meme Land. Not mm-hmm. a lot of people are familiar with Meme Land, but is launched by Nine Gag, which is 120 million monthly uniques. It's a Web2 Reddit style brand. They launched a small collection of NFTs, 540 at, I believe, 5.4 ETH. So this model of really small supply at a high price point is proven. Mm-hmm. This is not speculation. Right. It can be done. So I think that that phase one absolutely could have worked, right? This is Porsche with a luxury brand with their audience is people with money. You know what I mean? If you're someone else and it's a brand new brand or something, like maybe don't do 9.1. But for Porsche, I agree. It makes complete sense. Right. There's no reason they and couldn't then, sell that. Up. And then just kind of going through real quick. Hey, phase two. Now we're launching the second batch. It's 911 supply at 0.911. And everybody in the first round gets a free mint of the second round mm-hmm. and then scale it further mm-hmm. from there. 9,111 at 0.099. Right. So scale up, bring the price down. And then boom, you've got a roughly 10,000 ish person collection and you've minted out and it's super fun and you kind of have these layers. So I think that totally could have worked, but given that Porsche was in sort of the situation that they were in, they couldn't do this. So what do they do next? That's the big question. That's the big question. Well, and but before we go to what do they do next, what did they do wrong here? Would And I don't know if you have insight, Jeff, did they not have the right people on this project? Because it feels like there's so many legacy brands out there that are, how do I say this, stepping into Web3 and for whatever reason, even though there's a multitude of experts available in the Web3 space that would gladly consult in this, the three of us included, they're not talking to Web3 natives. They're talking to like PR firms and marketing firms. But like you said before, it seemed like Porsche was because they were at Art Basel. So I don't, I'm confused why, where the, the misstep happened. So having success in this space is a Rubik's cube of variables that can come together in different ways. Actually, there's only, you only win the Rubik's cube in coming together one way, but there's a lot of different ways to get there. Just knowing that some people might say, oh, their roadmap wasn't good. Or some people said there wasn't a clear expectations for utility. And some people might say, oh, the price was too high. And the reality is, Just about all of those things is, yes, that's true. But here's kind of my take. Given everything that they did, their community engagement strategy leading up to launch, based off of all of that, what should the price have been? It should have been much lower to sell out, right? But they're a luxury brand and they have to balance that variable of Mm -hmm. not just throwing something out there at a super 
low price, right? But given everything that they did, they needed to have a lower price point. That's the one you fix that. And then they probably meant out and everybody's, well, this is great, but there might've been downstream luxury brand effects that we might not be able to see. So if they wanted to maintain that 0.911 price point with the total supply of 7,500 NFTs, they just needed to have a stronger engagement strategy leading up to that launch. They needed to talk more about the utility, right? They didn't release a really concrete utility and benefits roadmap until the day of or day after the launch. And so it's depending on the variables, you you could have worked this a couple different angles. And so there's going to be probably like five different strategies that could have worked, right? And it's just which, you know, which path do you end up taking? In this case, the fact that they, and getting into the recommendation at the bottom of this brief, the recommendation was given where they, given where this was at, that it was not going to mint out. And that was very clear. Their only option was to pause the mint and just stop it Mm -hmm. and say, hey, thank you everybody who minted. Y'all are the true believers. You, you came in at this price point. We're good. We've got our community. That was their only option. But there's a key thing here. They have to do that fast. You mm. can't come in a month later and make that decision. You probably mm. can't come in a week later. And it's maybe even a bad decision to come in three days later. Right. These are the types of things where you have to act fast. You have to respond. You have to play offense. The whole world, all the press is talking bad about you. You need to punch back. Right. You need to do something. We should celebrate brands that are trying to do it and experimenting experimenting and doing it the right way. Now, if brands are just doing cash grabs and there's been a lot of that, we can put them in their place and talk about that. But it kind of takes a little bit for that to play out to really understand if that's what was happening or if a brand's just having some hiccups along the way, they're learning and they're iterating and they're pivoting. And in this case, I just have to give mad props to the Porsche team, all the consultants, literally everybody involved for acting that fast for a large Mm -hmm. brand to pivot on a strategy that quickly that's impressive. And it shows me that those are the important things to be successful. To imagine that you're going to get your strategy right out of the gate is not realistic. If you dive into even web three native projects, every project has had hiccups along the way. And the projects that have risen through are when the team comes out and they're like, Hey, what's wrong? Give us your feedback. Okay, we're going to iterate and we're going to make some decisions and then we're going to move forward. And if brands have that and the teams working on it are doing that, I think that's great. My favorite tweet that I saw was from Degentraland and he just said, stop celebrating the Porsche Mint as a failure. We want Web2 NFTs to succeed, just not at the expense of our community. And I don't think Porsche did anything wrong for the Web3 community. They just tried something. It didn't necessarily work with their community. And so it's fine. And I think, like you said, they took action quickly. And I think they made the right move. 
And kudos to Jeff, by the way. If anyone was like kind of like live watching what was going on in that when Porsche wasn't doing so well, all of a sudden I get an email from Jump News and it was your brief. And it said they should close the mint. And a couple hours later, I go on Twitter and I see that they announced they closed the mint. And I was like, Jeff, was that you? <laughs> Did you do that? <laughs> so kudos to you on that one. That was impressive. TBD. Yeah, we posted that article on Twitter and tagged them. And about 45 minutes later, the official announcement came out that the mint would be closed. But specifically it would close in 24 hours. So they were right. giving mm -hmm. everyone, which I think was a great move. Hey, it's going to close if you haven't minted, mint. And then that's where they went from about 1500 to now where they're at 2500. And if you're judging the project on floor price, the floor price is 2.5 ish. It's way higher. It than got that. up to three. It got up to three. Now I think it's settled it around 2.5. I yeah. would be shocked if it ever dipped below mint price, I would be absolutely mm -hmm. shocked. The last thing I'll say is that, you know, I was on the fence about minting. I was like, the only way I will mint is if they shut this thing down. And then they announced the shutdown. So I went and grabbed three. Of course. <laughs> nice. And then just being looking in their discord, they've got kind of four main mods. They are super active in mm -hmm. conversation. Yeah. I think we should keep an eye on them. I think we should celebrate you know, what they've done. And we should be rooting for Web2 brands to be successful. And I think things look good for Porsche. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on and sharing this. This was awesome. For those listening, obviously, if you're listening to the show, you like Web3 News. This is our news roll-up. If you like news in Web3, you should go check out jumpnews.xyz because they also are bringing a bunch of great news and a bunch of good information, especially if you are in the big brand world. You need to be uh, a subscriber mm -hmm. for Jump News. Before you pop off, Jeff, anything else you want to announce or you want to share with us going on at Jump? So we're getting pretty darn close to the Infinity Rocket. Okay, what's that? When we led up to launching Jump News, we released the Genesis Rocket, which was a free mint for anybody who wanted to subscribe. But we closed it on January 15th. The public mint, that is. If you hold a Sky Club NFT, you can still grab yours if you haven't grabbed one. But by and large, there are no more Genesis Rockets. It was our way to say, hey, here's the official brand asset. Go mint it. And essentially, supply is capped about eight or 900 people minted that. Yeah. We're now working on rolling out the Infinity Rocket. Okay. And we're calling it the Infinity Rocket because it's endlessly customizable. You know, as we build out Jump News with native Web3 capabilities, we're going to work in this Infinity Rocket and being able to customize it based off of your engagement with Jump News, based off of the tokens that you hold. Maybe there's a collaboration with Porsche at some point. You can turn your <laughs> rocket into a Porsche rocket. <laughs> I don't know. Anything is possible. And all the things just keep happening with Jump. I absolutely love it. Love being part of the community. Jeff, thanks for everything you're doing at Jump. And thanks for everything you're doing for Web3, man. We love it. We need people like you. So we're going to continue to get you on the show as per usual and, and keep picking your brain. Awesome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have uh, Dot Swoosh. So we've talked about this a few times. Big Web3 play. I mean, I guess they already have one. They bought Artifacts. What was that last year or two years ago? But mm -hmm. now they have launched Dot Swoosh, which is their creator content studio, I guess. So basically, we don't really know exactly what it is, but it's their way of getting involved with their community to help them build different designs and different things for, for their shoes, digital shoes. They've been talking about it for a while. They had a wait list. And they finally opened it up, I guess, yesterday. Now, Jay and I are not in the US, so we actually don't have access to this. So we don't know the whole story. 
However, thankfully, we have our resident, what do we call it, investigative analyst in Candy, <laughs> who's a member of our community who shared all this with us. And basically, if you held one of the NFTs, I guess it's like a, a contest right now. So anyone who mm -hmm. has one of these IDs, they can access this contest, which is actually just on Instagram. So it's not even really a Web3 play yet. It's just a way to activate their audience, I guess, and their community members. And so they are doing what's called a Your Force One Challenge, where four people are going to be selected to win, I believe it's $5,000, and then are invited to collaborate directly with Nike designers to build a one-of-one -one new virtual creation that is inspired by their work. And the way that you can be a part of this is, I think there's like a story you have to create on your Instagram stories. There's like eight slides uh, and you have to tag all this stuff and have their hashtags. You have to put your ID over your Nike.swoosh ID number on there. And then once everyone kind of goes in on it, they'll uh, they'll select four winners kind of thing. So it's not even really a launch, I guess, of like their Web3 studio yet. It's more of an activation, I'm assuming, in kind of a buildup of their big launch. What's your takeaway mm -hmm. from it, Jay? Yeah, I mean, from the beginning of .swoosh, I think we were all fascinated by it because of the fact that they were clearly leaning into the identity side mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. Web3, basically saying, oh, anybody can create, well, it wasn't just anybody, but certain people, mainly people in the US, could create a dot swoosh. So you could be, you know, Kyle could have Kyle dot swoosh, I could have J dot swoosh. And that would be sort of like an ENS domain or an unstoppable yeah. domain but we weren't really sure and we still aren't really sure how that is playing out for me that's what i'm most excited to see but they actually Same. haven't done anything with that we know if you look on OpenSea, there's about two hundred seventy-five thousand dot swooshes that have been claimed so far and they're not for sale so we'll, we'll see how that plays out this concept of the like virtual shoe creator world is is really interesting i mean nike's all about shoes and obviously wearables in the metaverse is going to be a big thing in the future. I mean, it already is a big thing in Roblox and in Fortnite and a lot of like web two gaming platforms where people are purchasing skins and spending a ton of time and money on digital wearables. You know, Nike obviously wants to be a big part of that and they want to involve their community in creating that. So I think, yeah, look, great marketing. I think we're just not quite sure what this exactly is yet. And I, what I see it as is, like you said, great marketing. It's them activating their community and spreading awareness around this yeah. thing, whatever it's going to be. And so whether they launch some sort of NFT collection from it or something, I mean, Jeff just talked about Porsche. One of the things they could have done is marketed more in the beginning, right? Before they mm -hmm. actually launched and mm -hmm. taught people more about what this was and what it meant and what was involved. Nike's kind of doing that right now, but they're actually getting their community to market it for them. And so I think that's mm -hmm. actually quite smart. So we'll see where they go. I don't know what timelines are like, but we'll keep you posted, of course, as this comes out. Just to, to make the mention, the one thing that Nike is doing when you think about the playbook for Web3 is always community first. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, that. You know, and not to say that Porsche didn't do community first. Like they, they also were at events and they had a Discord community and they were building community. But Nike is clearly slow playing this a lot more. And they are really doing community first by saying they're not even releasing an NFT collection. They released right. these free dot swooshes, which you can mint on Polygon. I think it was, was it Polygon? I yeah. can't remember. Yeah, everything's Polygon. And, and now they're saying, oh, be part of helping us design our first. And we actually don't know if it's NFTs, but we're assuming be part of, you know, so it's, it's this much slower play to building with community, which if you're a legacy brand, you have the time to do that. 
seems like a win-win. All right, Doodles. What's going on with Doodles? Doodles, big week for Doodles. So first, Doodles announced that they acquired Golden Wolf, the animation studio behind Rick and Morty. They've worked with Disney. And so that was a big signal that we kind of all knew this. Doodles wants to be the next Disney. They want to create animation, narrative animation-based TV and movies, all based around the colorful, joyful Doodles brand that we all love so much. So that was what happened first. That news, I think, came out on Monday or Tuesday this week. And then just yesterday, Doodles made an announcement about the Doodles 2 collection, and they posted a letter on their Twitter about Doodles 2 collectibles launching on Flow. And we're going to talk about the fact that they're launching on Flow, but let me first just tell you about Doodles 2. So Doodles 2, it's basically Doodles' way of opening up their collection to a much larger audience. So Doodles already has the original Doodles collection, which was a 10,000 PFP collection. Then they created the Duplicator. They have the Genesis box, and then they have the Doodle Bank. Those are their, their collections so far. It's small and they're expensive, right? Like all of these pieces are, I don't remember the exact floor price of Duplicator and Genesis box, but around half an ETH is my guess, maybe even upwards of an ETH. So not an accessible brand where when you're Doodles and you're trying to create an accessible brand for kids and families all around the world, okay, how do you do that? Well, that's the point of Doodles 2. The point of Doodles 2 is to open up. So it's going to launch in private beta, private beta meaning you have to be within the Doodles ecosystem in order to access this. And essentially they're going to start with 33,000 in the collection, but I think they're going to, they're aiming to go much bigger. And the idea behind Doodles 2 is it's a PFP. It's an identity-based project where it's, okay, you get your PFP, but with Doodles 2, you can design your PFP yourself. So it's not, oh, you mint a Doodle and whatever you get is what you get. With Doodles 2, you can change the look of your Doodle. You can change what your Doodle is wearing. And this gets into why did they do it on Flow? Well, because on Flow, you can do gasless transactions. And that makes sense when you're trying to create this basically customizable digital character. Okay, well, you need to be able to change things within the character, which means you need to be constantly making transactions and minting and changing the character. So Flow made a lot of sense for them because of that ability. It's a high volume play, right? Mm -hmm. They're, like you said, the beta is 33,000, which means the like full thing of this is going to be in my guess, 100,000 plus. 100, yeah. And I think when you're doing a play that big, like you said, this is for the mainstream. This isn't for Web3 native, Ethereum mm -hmm. native, like Doodles obviously is on Ethereum. And people are like, oh, they're going on Flow, they're selling out. And it's like, no, I mean, Flow is where NBA Top Shots is on. It's on where mm -hmm. a lot of the like big- NFL, Ticketmaster. Yeah. yeah, a lot of them are there because- it's a very, very, very easy UX. Now, is it fully decentralized like Ethereum? Absolutely not. It's probably the most centralized. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. it's on that the other side of the spectrum. But these are probably not going to be priced at 10 ETH. And you do not need everything to be on a fully decentralized, secure system, right? It's going to be a low value, high volume play, and it's going to bring in new people into the space. So this is a net positive for Web3. And the best way to do that is to use something like Flow, where you don't even really need to think about all the like MetaMask and all that kind of stuff. It just, when you create your account, I think it's with an email and it just makes a wallet for you, mm -hmm. et cetera. 
So it's, it's very, very easy to exit. Ethereum, unfortunately, just doesn't have yet. And you don't have to worry about gas or any of that kind of stuff. And so it's all about the experience to bring in new people. And I think that's exactly what they're trying to do here. And I think it's going to work well. I think that's the way to do it. Ethereum and layer twos eventually will get that, like immutable they could have used, which is also gasless. You still need to make a wallet. It's not the easiest UX just yet. And they're focused on games. So it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know what? I wouldn't store my assets that are worth a lot on Flow. But I think this is a great use case for Flow. And why not, right? If it's going to bring in the mainstream, it's going to bring in a bunch of people. That's exactly what I want. So I'm, I'm all for it. I think we overvalue decentralization sometimes. Yeah. in this space. There is definitely a benefit to decentralization. Don't get me wrong. I am a full believer that we need to go in that direction, but not everything needs to be decentralized. The Web3 crypto Twitter, we all love to talk about decentralization to the max, but this is a good example where a centralized chain is actually not a bad thing when you're trying to reach the masses and do it in a way that's like frictionless, quick and easy and gasless. Because somebody doesn't want to come into the space and you know pay gas right away. That's not right. that's not how you enter. Like eventually, the UX will be just like this, mm -hmm. if not better, on a fully decentralized platform with a decentralized stack all the way up. You won't have to think about gas. It'll be so easy. We won't even call it that. We won't even call them wallets. You just create an account, and it'll be the best thing ever, and it'll all be on top of you know a layer three or four, or whatever, on top of Ethereum and fully decentralized. Cool. We're years from that. So we're not just going to wait. We're not just going to keep launching things that are only for the small little community we have in our little <laughs> corner on Twitter. No, we want to create things that bring in the mainstream and create cool experiences. And so we have to give up on some decentralization a little bit for that. And it's okay with this. Now, it's not okay when it's users' funds that they're storing, like FTX, right? That is not okay, but that's billions of dollars, not, mm -hmm. I don't know how much these are going to be worth, but... Anyway, it's a big difference. So we just need to understand mm -hmm. the spectrum there. I'm feeling pretty bullish on Flow. The partnerships that they're able to make, the That's moves great. that they've made. They've got a $750 million development fund. They announced that like six months ago, but I'm sure Doodle's got some of that. They're doing yeah. really great things that I'm really impressed with. Jay, let's get them on the podcast. Yeah, let's do that. We're already hey. getting Immutable and Polygon. Let's get Flow. Those are the three best biz dev blockchains in the whole, in the entire space. So let's Flow, if you're listening... On. Dapper Labs, we're going to reach out. We'll get you on the show. Yeah. Okay, what do we got next here? What's going on at Robinhood? Yeah, Robinhood enters Web3. So the way they're doing this is actually by launching their new non-custodial wallet, which is really cool. You know, I think Robinhood is essentially somewhat disrupting their own business model or their own business anyway, kind of like what we talked about last week with Reddit. And I think that's really, really cool. So Robinhood as many of you know, is a, I think it's US only based investment platform. It's made to be super, super user friendly. It's for the retail people. There's, you know, almost 20 million users on it right now, which is the second place of any investment platform. I think Fidelity is number two at 6.3 million. Uh, the interesting thing of Robinhood is their user base, their average account size is 4,000. Whereas something like Charles Schwab is 234,000. I wonder if their average account size was like 10K plus until the bear market happened because I feel like everyone on Robinhood was either in Tesla or crypto. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, a year and a half ago, I think it was, let's say, or maybe two years ago now, they allowed you to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum and a few other things on their platform. Now it was, they still custodied it for you. So it was not the ideal scenario, but you could get exposure to it. Cool. Then last year, they opened up the ability to actually move your crypto off their platform and send it to the MetaMask wallet, similar to what PayPal has done. At the permissionless conference I was at last year, the founder came and he announced that they were launching this non-custodial wallet and you can move your 
funds that are on Robinhood, the centralized platform to your own non-custodial wallet. And now Robinhood no longer custodies your assets, which is interesting because investment platforms, this is sort of their play. Well, mm -hmm. not all of them custody your assets. They either custody it or they have an order book in the background that they take a cut off of, et cetera, which is what Robinhood does. Now, what's interesting here is they no longer custody any of the assets. They no longer have the user data. It's really as a tech platform. It's it's not the typical route they would take. Same with what Reddit was doing. What we talked about is, I mean, they make their money off of ads. That's their main revenue stream. And they're disrupting that by giving people wallets and no longer having that data. And so that's what Robinhood's doing. But Robinhood still has their own business model. They actually, I believe, take a cut somehow on the trades that are happening in the background. I don't mm -hmm. really understand exactly what it is. And I don't think it's like uberly important. But basically, if you're using Polygon on the Robinhood non-custodial wallet, you don't pay any fees at all. And that's because they're doing something in the background where they're moving the money around. I don't really get it. But anyway, what this is doing is creating a nice UX. It's a nice new onboarding ramp for the 20 million users of Robinhood that allows them to go straight into Web3 applications. I think it's great. It's, they're kind of a big competitor now to Coinbase somewhat, right? This was centralized exchange, non-custodial wallet, and enter Web3. And now Robinhood's kind of the same. They don't have as many assets and as much DeFi things and whatever, but maybe they'll get there. We'll see what happens. But kudos to Robinhood. I'm a fan of this move and kind of goes with your play, Jay, of every company is going to want to control the UX. And that's what Robinhood's doing here is, hey, we know everyone wants to go on chain and hold their own assets. That's fine let's at least control the UX of them managing their own assets because they can do, you can build many business models from that. What those will be, I'm not sure, but it'll come for sure. The wallet race is on, right? Yeah, 100%. You know, if you can be, I mean, MetaMask right now, they've got what, 100 million users that are just so committed and wallets are going to be our first stop when we log on to anything in the long term right whether and they won't be called wallets i'm no. trying to explain this to people who don't know web3 and i keep saying the word wallet but i'm talking about it with like identity and like things that we'll do with like nfts whatever and i'm like wallet doesn't make sense it's just an account you know what i mean i think that's the word that it's going to be or i don't know or profile bullet. i don't know what it'll be the other thing just before we move on is i just want to check quickly about how interesting it is to see a company like robin hood any web2 company relies on data it is a core part, whether or not they sell ads, there's still a ton of benefit in controlling user data and owning user data. And so Robinhood launching a non-custodial wallet means that they will no longer own or control that data. And what are the outcomes of that? Because I think the outcomes of that are very interesting. And I see a few of those. One is that if you don't control user data, on one end, we think back to what happened with GameStop. And Robinhood was able to pull the plug on GameStop trading. And if you haven't gone and watched that Netflix series or I don't know if it's a series or a movie, it's a fantastic documentary about it. But they were able to pull the plug. If this was non-custodial, Robinhood could not pull the plug. So like Robinhood's I giving pull the plug, he means stop, stop the ability to sell, I believe it to was. To sell. Or no. Yeah. yeah, to sell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, you could still buy, but if nobody can sell, then <laughs> you take one side of it, then who cares, right? Yeah. On the other side, though... I think there is a few benefits that are really interesting to having less user data and less control, which is one, does it become cheaper to run your business? Because you don't have to worry about securing all that data. That's really expensive, the security of data. You can put security on all of a sudden Ethereum is your security and you don't have to pay Ethereum to use Ethereum, 
right? You know, well, uh, you do need to pay Ethereum, but it's well, minor. Got, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> much minor it's than different. holding than buying your own servers and creating, mm -hmm. building your own database from scratch, which is what every company has to do, and storing it all in there and making sure that it's secure so that it doesn't get hacked and. Now all that mm -hmm. you don't really have to worry about, which I think is huge. I would say just one caveat, they can still track some data, right? MetaMask, mm -hmm. we talked about MetaMask is doing this. So like you can yeah. track IP and things like that. The data we're talking about that they don't get anymore is like every time you use an app, you create an account, you put your name, you put your credit card, you put your address, you put all this stuff. And then that's stored on their database. That is all gone. It's not no longer needed anymore. So that's what they essentially lose. Yeah. It, I mean, it's better for a business, like you said, and it's better for us because we're no longer giving our data away, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, it's they turn off the buy, not the sell, because everyone Thanks is buying GameStop. Yeah, <laughs> I just had to make sure we, we got that across. Any other points on that? No, let's go no? on. All right, let's move on. We got another really cool innovation here. This was just launched a couple days ago, and it's called Diversified Staked ETH. Okay, now I know this is some DeFi stuff. We don't usually cover this too much, but this tells a really great story. So what this is, is a product from IndexCoop that just launched a token called Diversified Staked ETH. And basically what it is, is it allows you to diversify your portfolio if you are staking your ETH. So you can stake ETH right now in things like Rocket Pool or Lido, and they give you these like liquid staking tokens, right? And what they've done now is they're just combining them all. And so you can not just be in Rocket Pool or not just be in Lido or some of the other ones which are going to be added to this. You can be in all of them by buying just one token. So it creates a really nice UX. Now, here's the story of why this is actually cool. So when Vitalik proposed to go to proof of stake and everyone was like, yeah, it's a great idea. We see it as a better security system, et cetera. One of the worries was it costs you 32 ETH, not cost. You have to stake 32 ETH in order to run a validator to help secure the network. And that becomes an issue for a lot of people, especially when Ethereum or ETH becomes worth 10K or 20K or whatever, right? That's very expensive. And so that becomes a bit of a centralization issue. There's only you know, rich people essentially can secure the network. So what happened was because this is just an open source protocol and anyone can build on top of it, people started plugging into the staked ETH contracts as a validator and said, hey, we're going to build these decentralized protocols, which allow people to pool their ETH together and put that into one validator. And you can put 0 0.1, 0 0.01 ETH into this and still be able to stake your ETH instead of having to have 32 ETH. We're like, cool, this opens it up to the entire world right? Which is really, really cool. Then the problem became the first one to launch was Lido. And so everyone fumbled into it. All these people were doing this. And all of a sudden Lido now had a large percent share of all the staked ETH. And so there's a bit of a risk factor there that one protocol essentially owns a lot of this, right? And if something happened to that protocol, to that smart contract, et cetera, this could be a risk for the network. And so the great thing, again, of open source is, well, we can have competition. And so Rocket Pool came, and I think there's StakeWise, and a few other ones came. And so that's really cool. So I actually went to stake a bunch of ETH the other day because I was already staking some. And I was like, well, where do I do this? I don't want to put it all on Lido. I want to help provide security to the network and decentralize it. So I was like, okay, I'll do some on Rocket Pool. And then I was like, what if something happens to Rocket Pool or Lido? So I put some on Rocket Pool Arbitrum, some on Rocket Pool Optimism, some on <laughs> Lido and my Argent wallet, some on Lido here. And then there's, I think, the other one that's coming out. I was like, I'll get some of that. I was like, God, this is kind of a pain, but like, I'm very much into this and I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing for the network. Then all of a sudden, after I finished doing all that, I look on Twitter and Index Coops launches this. And I go, of course, another protocol comes out which allows us kind of like an ETF. So instead of me having to go and buy all these and stake all these in these different pools, I can just buy this one token 
And in a decentralized way, and I need to fact check on how fully decentralized these tokens are. I'm pretty sure they are, but I don't know to what extent. But basically what happens, I buy that token. I actually own all these other tokens, the Rocket Pool one, the Lido one, et cetera. And at any point I can click a button and it will remove, burn my diversified staked ETH token and just give me my Rocket Pool, my Lido tokens, et cetera. And so now with one purchase, I'm helping to decentralize the security of the Ethereum network. And it's all done through these just protocols being built on top of protocols. You think of them like Legos. Again, Vitalik just proposed do proof of stake and others. They didn't have all the solutions, but they said, let's mm -hmm. just do it. And because it's open source, people will start to innovate and figure things out. And like now we're getting so far along that the easiest way to stake your ETH is now the most decentralized and the most diverse, which is great for the Ethereum network, great for the UX, everything. So it's just really cool to see the innovation that happens in this space in ways that you just you really don't expect. And I, I just absolutely love that. Really great story of the Legos. I think you nailed it. I think typically when we build something new, we feel like we have to have all the answers and we have to right. know all the steps up front. And now all of a sudden we're saying, let's present problems and let's discuss it. And then we'll figure it out one step at a time. And through quite frankly, a short amount of time, we Very will get short. to better solutions. Because when you have you know, open protocol and thousands of devs all around the world doing this work all in their own time, you know, you don't rely on a company that would take years to have gotten to this result. This is not financial advice. I'm not saying that you should stake your ETH on any of these protocols, but just wanted to make you aware. All right, let's, let's jump into some quick hits. But before we do, we just got to take one minute to hear from our lovely sponsor over at Unlock Protocol. Unlock Protocol is the NFT membership protocol for Web3. Content subscriptions, community access, event tickets are all forms of memberships, one of the most common business models for creators and entrepreneurs today. Building an NFT membership opens many new possibilities for your members. Everything from tailored multi-platform experiences to the ability to sell an unfinished subscription on secondary markets. These are things just not possible in Web2. However, in order for this business model to work, Creators need NFTs, which are time-bound or have built-in recurring payments. Unlock Protocol does this for your NFTs. Better yet, with a few simple steps, you can create your own NFT contract without code. What WordPress has done for websites, Unlock Protocol is doing for membership NFTs. If you're an NFT creator, you can't rely on royalties as they are likely going to zero. You need recurring revenue you need unlock at web3 academy we believe nft memberships are the future of business and community and that's why we decided to build on unlock learn more at unlock-protocol.com all right i'll start us off with the first quick hit of the day jay the world economic forum releases a dow toolkit this is awesome so the world economic forum had their annual conference this past week in davos switzerland this is the cream of the crop, the largest gathering of economic policymakers, regulators, government officials, all coming together in one place to talk about the future of our global economy. Very important event, incredible amount of who's who's that are there. And at this event, they released a DAO toolkit. 
And so this is a 40 page report. I think we're actually going to do a deep dive on this to summarize this for everybody who's probably not going to go read a 40 page report, but it's really impressive. It's impressive for two reasons. One, it's the World Economic Forum recognizing and acknowledging that DAOs are a new framework for coordination and business. And two, it's a very impressive 40 page document. It was created in collaboration with Wharton Blockchain and Digital Assets Project. And it goes into really everything you need to know about DAOs. It explains what DAOs are, what the opportunities and challenges are, operations, governance, the legal structures. Legal structures, it talks a lot about the need for legal structures because we don't really quite have legal structures yet. But I was really impressed to see this. I think it's a big signal for the space to see an organization like the World Economic Forum acknowledging and recognizing blockchain in this way. I think it's funny that our case studies in here are on NounsDAO, friends with benefits. <laughs> and, uh, I forget what other ones, but I was like, no way. It's awesome. It's just so funny. I love it. You can just imagine like Bill Clinton or Al Gore at the World Economic Forum reading something like, oh, friends with benefits. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Good <laughs> I just realized I might have made a joke there unintentionally. <laughs> Next on the quick hits, Kyle, MailChain launches encrypted email with ENS. Yeah, this is pretty cool. So essentially what this is, is that if you have an ENS, you can now email someone from one ENS to another ENS and you don't need an email account. Like you don't need an at gmail.com or an at hotmail or whatever. You can now just do it with ENS. I don't exactly know how this works in terms of like, I don't think it's wallet to wallet. I think it's actually just through like email, uh, which is very interesting, except it's encrypted. And so no one can read your emails. You know, if it's your keys, then it's your emails. I don't know why that's that important, but it is. And you have Balaji over here says email lists are good. ENS lists will be better. So we have some big names that are supporting it. So anyway, sounds cool. We haven't used it yet, but uh, I love the innovation going on with ENS and just in terms of communication, right? We need more secure means of communication that are decentralized. And I think wallet to wallet conversations and messaging is going to be big. Now we have a new form of email too. So pretty cool. I love it. Love it. And we're going to dive deeper into this. We got a podcast coming up with one of the founders of XMTP, which is one of the leading uh, platforms in wallet to wallet messaging. Yes, sir. We do. Rarible unveils NFT marketplace builder. That's 100% free. What's up? This is so exciting because we all are going to need our own NFT marketplace. Every brand and every business, just like Shopify. Think about the way Shopify works. Shopify was the first platform to allow any brand to sell physical items online, right? All of a sudden you can very easily, you don't need to be a web developer. You don't need to be a coder that understands how to integrate payment software and accept credit cards and connect to bank, all that. You can just seamlessly. And that's what Rarible is doing for NFT marketplaces. So if you have an NFT collection, Rather than relying on other marketplaces for the buying and selling of your collection, you could write on your own website, you could have a button that says buy and sell, you could click on that button and you'd have your own custom marketplace that you create on Rarible. Now, right now, this is only supporting Ethereum and Polygon, but I think that they're going to roll out more in the future. And this also really connects into one of the big problems that we talk a lot about is royalties. Okay, one of the issues is we can't enforce royalties and there's lots of marketplaces that don't enforce royalties and there's nothing you can do about that. You can use the operator filter registry, but that's another story that we can talk about at a different time. What this allows is if you have your own marketplace on your website, you can set the royalties as what you want them to be. 
And you can explain right there why you've set them as those royalties. You're not going to go to OpenSea to buy NFTs long-term. You're going to be on Nike's website and you want to buy a Nike NFT, you're going to click on their marketplace. You're going to buy a Nike NFT right there. The same way you don't go to Amazon to buy Nike shoes, you go to Nike.com. You're going to stick with the NFT marketplace combo. Blur announces mobile new mobile features. Yeah, I mean, this isn't going to be a feature that changes your day-to-day probably, but... It is a great feature nonetheless, which is the ability to just browse collections by rankings and that on your app. Blur has an app that you can go through and you can check out collections. It's kind of like OpenSea, you know, you can't buy and sell in there. You can't trade in there. You can't mint in there. It's somewhat of a useless app for the most part, unless you're just kind of browsing. But that comes as a result of obviously Apple blocking anything to do with NFTs. But we know we want mobile friendly apps coming in the future. And so teams are building it. Teams are getting ready. We just can't really launch all the features until we figure out a way around it, which will happen. That's what we do here in Web3 is we innovate and we work our ways around. We're like water, right? When you drop water through something, it just finds its way around. Whatever obstacles are in front of it, that's exactly what internet protocols are. That's what decentralization allows you to do. And so it'll come. It'll just take some time. And so a lot of these apps are getting ready for it. And at one point, we will have our mobile moment and it will just explode. Next up, Jason. Proof conference. What's going on? Proof of Jason. Wow. It's like <laughs> my mom, my mom just showed up on the show. So Proof, the uh, organization behind Moonbirds has announced Proof Conference. Proof of Conference is what they're calling it. Look, every major collection knows that we can't just be virtual. We can't just be online. NFTs can't just exist and have communities in Discord. We need to meet in person. We need in-person connection. We need to build a community that way. So Proof Conference is Proof's way of doing that. It's their way of bringing together a community. It's happening in May of this year in LA. And if you're a Proof holder or a Moonbird holder or an Oddities holder, you have an opportunity to buy a pass to Proof Conference at a discount. The sale starts January 31st. And basically, I think it's the 31st is Proof Holders. And then the next day is Moonbird. And the next day is Oddities. Proof Holders get free passes. Moonbirds are 50% off. Oddities are 50% off. I believe the price is 0.75 ETH. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm definitely going to try to make it down. So long as my pregnant wife is down with me taking some time to go down to LA. Because I would love to meet fellow Moonbirders, hootie who. I think it's, yeah, really exciting. Going to be a great time. It's just really exciting to see more brands leaning into the in-person side. Jeff has talked a lot about the importance of in-person and Jump is doing a lot of in-person events that they're looking at as well. So cool to see. I got to mention one more thing. Just yesterday while we were prepping for the show, Kevin Rose's wallet got hacked. Kevin Rose is the founder of Proof. Sucks to see that happen in the space. Lost I think it was over a million dollars in NFTs. Lots sending love to Kevin Rose. Sucks when something this happens. We'll figure it out. We'll get better UX and we won't have problems like this in the future because yeah, it just just sucks. Jay, in case you're wondering, your non-pregnant business partner and podcast co-host gives you the go-ahead to go to the proof conference in case you in case you needed that. That's good. That holds mega clout. That's my pregnant <laughs> wife. Okay, next up. ETH celebrates. ETH's white paper is nine years old. You know, it's interesting. So this was Vitalik, who was a Bitcoin maxi at the time. I mean, Bitcoin maxi maybe wasn't really a term back then, but he wrote this. And what's crazy is Ethereum itself is about eight years old. So from white paper to launching Ethereum took less than a year. And it's just pretty incredible to see the growth that this thing has had and the innovation that has come from it in such a short period of time. The idea just came out nine years ago, just the idea in someone's head that got written down. And then it launches a year later 
And now it is touching almost every industry, every type of business and becoming one of the greatest technologies, I think, in our history. It's amazing that it can happen this quickly. Kudos to Vitalik and the other team who helped to build Ethereum. It's cool to celebrate. Happy birthday, Ethereum. And deep bow to Vitalik and yeah. all the authors that were involved in writing this. Just yeah. How many authors yeah, were there? I thought it was just Vitalik, but it looks like there's a bunch. I think it was just Vitalik. I think this is, there's about, oh my gosh, there must be like 40 different names at the top of this. I think these were people that just merited it, right, said right. We, gotcha. we agree and we vouch for this. Okay. It's all the talk then. All right. Last one of the show. Sundance Film Festival embraces blockchain and crypto film initiatives. Yeah. Another big signal. I mean, we always talk about Web3 is eating the world and obviously it's slowed down immensely in the past year with the bear market and a lot of negative news coming out of terrible situations like FTX. But in every industry, there is blockchain and it's happening more and more. And film is definitely one that you would not necessarily expect to be the fastest to change because film is a very old industry, sort of like music that is very entrenched and controlled by a couple of companies, which is why the music NFT report that Kyle wrote for Web3 Academy Pro is so great. Go check that out if you haven't already. But Sundance Film Festival, one of the largest film festivals in the, I shouldn't say largest, one of the most prestigious film festivals in the world. It's a smaller one, but it's very prestigious. A lot of Golden Globe nominees, a lot of Oscar nominees come out of Sundance. And this year at Sundance, there is a blockchain funded movie that is being featured that is nominated to win an award at this film festival. So this is a film that raised the funding for their film through selling NFTs. I mean, it's so exciting to see this happening because A, who doesn't want to support films and be part of that? And we all talk about the democratization of investing in things that we would not have been able to invest in previously. And also it's great to see if, you know, you're at Sundance and all of a sudden you're like, oh, who is the investors in this film? It's, oh, it was these 10,000 NFT holders over here who invested. <laughs> Love it. Bullish blockchain, <laughs> bullish web three. Great episode, Jay. Why don't you uh, wrap it up for us? Yeah, that's a wrap, everybody. Thanks so much for listening in. I hope that you had a great week and you're leaning into a great weekend. We're going to be back with you next week. we got some exciting shows coming out, so make sure you check us out. If you're not already subscribed to the newsletter, please subscribe. And if you do have a second right now, whatever platform you're listening on, greatly appreciate a review, a like, or a follow. Helps us get in front of more people and bring more people into Web3. Keep on crushing it, everybody. We love you. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy. We hope this helps you along your Web3 journey. And if it does, please share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Nothing in this podcast was financial advice. Crypto and Web3 can be risky. You can literally lose it all. In fact, if you invest on account of what we say, you probably will lose it all. So don't do that. In all honesty, the point of this podcast is to remove the noise of markets and price and focus on utility and implementation anyway. So you should not take any of this as financial advice. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.